Uh, one of the most popular uh, Christmas time stories came from Charles Dickens, and it's the Christmas Carol, where old Scrooge had a big change in his life. Uh, he changed his mind about some things, he changed the way he lived, and he went through quite a process to do that. Um, Scrooge, early on, was consumed uh, in that story by living for wealth and stature. He saw himself as a businessman. Um, and it was like that till he saw that there is an afterlife when old Marley came to him with all of his chains and all of his things and the wealth was all gone. But all of the ways in which he had affected people, the way he treated people in this world, went with him into the afterlife. And Scrooge changed. Uh, Scrooge was changed. And he saw that what happens now matters and that his treasures in this world, uh, they won't go with him forever. Well, the Christian message is one that should affect us now. It should be good news that actually changes the way we think, changes the way we live. It's something that we should enjoy and receive and it's also something that changes us and that comes out of us. We've been looking for the last several weeks at, an, at a series in Advent, asking the question, what is so great about Christmas? And many people celebrate Christmas in different ways around the world. What is so significant about it is something that we've looked at, and that is that God himself came into this world to be our Savior. God himself took on our nature and he did it to be our Savior. So this passage in Philippians 2 helps us to look at how the truth and the reality of what he did is to be for us something that we marvel at and that as we marvel at that, it changes us and we become more like him even in this world. So Philippians 2 it begins with an encouragement to change our mindset. That the way that we think is incredibly important. So this idea of this mindset is where we could go wrong. Scrooge had this change of mind. A question for us is, do we have this change of mind? Have our minds been changed? Do we have this mindset that was in Christ? What we see here is that we go wrong when we think of ourselves and others with our mindset that is selfish, with a mindset that is me versus them. It's something that C.S. Lewis calls the hell of self. We can live our lives, and we can constantly be thinking about what we get, what kind of a transaction we're getting uh, when we interact with other people. Most people have this mindset of self-interest. It's what the world calls the me-first mindset. Uh, and this is actually normal. This is natural for someone that doesn't know Christ, for someone that doesn't know God. To illustrate this, in Philippians chapter 1, we're told that even some people that are in ministry, Paul says that some preach Christ out of a motivation, a mindset of selfish ambition. Okay, That, that even the preaching of Christ can be done with a mindset that is selfish. In chapter 2, later in this passage, he's talking about people that it seems like are in the church that are actually professing Christians, and he says, they all seek their own interest, not those of Christ, not those of Jesus Christ. This is a, a thing that gets deeply inside of us. If you think about what you do, that's one thing. 
But if you can go deeper than that and ask yourself, why do you do what you do? That's what this passage is getting at. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5, it says that the purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters. It's kind of hard to get to that motivation level, the mindset from which our actions spring. But it says in Proverbs 25, it says, but the man of understanding will draw them out. We want to do a little bit of that today. So in our passage, we're told to turn away from such a mindset of selfish ambition. You see this in verses 3 and 4, where it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Those are, kind, those are mindsets. Those are motivations. But, rather than that, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Okay? Now, this is a very basic command. It says, if you, if you look at other people, don't think about a competition and of ranking yourself above them. Okay? What it says is, in all of these interactions with all kinds of people, everyone, think of yourself as below them. That's different than the world, isn't it? That's very different from a natural mindset. So then in verse 4 he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You have to get food for your family. You have to you know, dress yourself and you know, provide for things and be responsible with, with work and all those things. But he says, don't be driven only by what is, interesting, what is of interest to you. Think about other people. Go outside of yourself with these things. But how can you do that? How are we supposed to do this? How can this change actually happen in our lives? Well, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the turning point. This is the thing that changes in a Christian. Having the same mindset that is in Christ... Well, what is this mind? What is this mindset? It's a humility and a love which considers others as more significant. It's something that, that changes within us and then comes out. Now, this is said to be for us as Christians. So where it says in verse 5, there are different ways to translate this last phrase. It says, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Some translations say, which is also in Christ Jesus, or which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is, these are different ways to translate something that in the Greek is much more condensed. The idea here is this, that it's saying, which also is in Christ Jesus. And he uses a little phrase here that Paul uses more than a hundred times. In Christ. And whenever he uses that phrase, he's talking about the union of what it means to be a Christian. He's saying that for a Christian, we are in a union where we are joined to Christ. Just like a husband and a wife become one, a believer and the Lord Jesus Christ become one. We are put into a union so that all of the blessings and benefits, his inheritance, his righteousness, his payment for sin are shared with us in this union. And here he says, this union means that the mindset that is in Christ is for you as well. It's yours. It's a part of being a Christian. You get to have the blessing of this mindset as a Christian. So this comes from union with Christ. Now, back at the very beginning of this passage, uh, verse 1, 
uh, he, looks at, he looks at the benefits that Christians have enjoyed, and he says, if there is any encouragement, the reason he's saying this is because these are things that we have received. These are benefits and blessings of being a Christian that, that are common to a Christian's experience. So he says, if you could read this another way, it's like, you have understood these, you have received these, and because you have, let this mindset rise up in you. Let your mindset be fixed with the mindset that's in Christ. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and then he says, because, it's, like, it's like he's saying, have you had any of this? Like As a Christian, have you enjoyed any of this? Well, yes, as Christians we have. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The idea here is this. We have received these benefits. It should be changing us. It should be coming out of us. So we look at this, and he says, after verse 5, there's this song. This is understood to be a song that the early church would have memorized and sung or repeated over and over again. Verses 6 through 11. And what it does is it's like a great hymn where you focus on Christ. You focus on who He is, what He has done. And you look at it and you say, wow, look at this. So the passage in this passage, what Paul is doing is he's saying, as we look at Christ, we should be changed by Him. We should be transformed. And this mindset will well up in us. You don't will yourself into it by saying, I should be a good person, I'm going to do this. You actually fix your gaze, your mind, on who Christ is, on what he has done. And in doing that, you are changed. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. As we look at Christ, we become like Christ and yet uniquely with who we are. So let's look at this, this song, verses uh, 6 through 11. It says this. It says, Who, though was in the form of God, uh, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, these are very dense um, statements. He begins with this. that Christ was in the form of God. He was the very person of God, the Son. He was everything that is in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how he begins. And, and Jesus, being fully God, deserving all honor and all glory, in all holiness and in all perfection, it says he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now there's an important word there. What does it mean that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped? Well, it means this. It means that he was always worshipped. He was always honored. He was always recognized by all the angels in eternity past, by, by every heavenly being, by everything that's in heaven from all eternity. He was always recognized as the one that is supreme. He deserves all honor. He deserves all worship. He is the sovereign. And he didn't hold on to it when he came into this world. He didn't grasp it. And this word grasped is a word that um, it's like you clench onto something and you don't want to share it. It's saying, this is mine and you can't take it from me. 
Some of my children have helped me understand this word over the years. And the way that it happens is this. You'll have siblings in a family, and one will go to the kitchen to get a snack. And then they, they come and they're watching a, 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 pro, a show or something, and then they have it in a dish, and then the other sibling looks over and they want to reach for some. And when they reach for it, it's just they box it out. They box them out. They turn this way, and they, they want to hold on to what is theirs and not share it with the sibling. Jesus, in all of the, the glory that he had, he didn't, he didn't keep the recognizable glory that he always had when he came to us. He didn't count the, the recognition of equality with God something to be held onto. My wife and I can illustrate this as well. We have a long, long-time joke where, one, again, it's food. With us, it's always food. Um, where one of us will get a, something that we're, we're eating, and then the other person will say, well, hey, what do you have there? Or we'll say, um, uh, is that good? And then our answer, when we don't want to share it, is, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> so, um, but we're grasping onto something. Jesus never did this. Okay, Jesus always had the posture of a servant when he was in his earthly ministry. You will see people talking in a way that they're offended because they're not being respected enough, because they're not being treated as they believe they ought to be treated. But Jesus never said, you better respect me. He knew that people did disrespect him, and he did say that clearly. He said, you dishonor me to some people. He knew that as a very simple fact that he is God, and he even pointed that out to others. Even when he was being dishonored, Jesus knew exactly who he was, but he didn't posture himself like that. He took the very posture of a servant. He would, he would speak about this, but he would also illustrate this. In the Gospel of John chapter 13, it's a familiar passage. It's where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And it's the night before he's going to be betrayed and crucified. And he's up there, and what, he, what it says is that he knew, he knew who he was. He knew he came from God. He knew he was going back to God. And it says this. It says, Then, therefore, he took off his outer garment, and he put a towel around himself. And then he took the very posture of a house slave, and he washed the feet of the disciples. And it was a display, it was a symbolic thing that he was doing. And he was doing this, and he asked them a question, do you understand what I've done for you? But that, in, ver in that very act, when he was doing that, he was showing his very mindset. He was showing what he had done from eternity. He, who was always glorified, took off the display, if you could say it that way. He took off the appearance, and he came into this world and he took the form of a servant. So he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But then it says this, but he emptied himself. Okay? He did not count something, uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Whenever it says that he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant or of a slave, we have to ask a very important question. And the question is, in what way did he empty himself? What did he let go of? And this is a point, this is very important for us to know, because some people think that part of his deity, part of his being God, was left somewhere else. That is not correct, okay? 
Now, the, the church had wrestled with this and had, had guarded against the heresy of thinking that Christ was somehow less than God in some way during his earthly ministry or into eternity. In the, uh, in the creed that came from Chalcedon, Chalcedon specifically addressed this issue. And it says this in the, in the Chalcedonian creed. It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ is the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. In other words, he is fully God, and he is fully man, yet without sin. It says that he is perfect in Godhead and in manhood, and then it says that he is truly God and truly man. So he is 100% deity. He doesn't lose any of his deity. So then the question is, in what way does he empty himself? And the answer is this. He emptied himself of the appearance of his glory. He concealed his glory for a time during that earthly ministry. Now we read just on Friday night from John 1 that John could say as a disciple, we beheld his glory. So in, in the very character of God, it came out of him. He, they saw that he was a servant who would do things for other people. He would serve them in amazing ways by healing by teaching, by giving himself up. And John and, his, and the other disciples could say, we saw his glory, we beheld his glory. But it wasn't a physical thing that they saw. In, in Isaiah 53, that, that amazing passage where we see the, the servant, the Messiah that would come, it says that he would suffer like a lamb to the slaughter, but he was being, he was being mistreated, he was being killed for us in our place. And it says in that passage that we esteemed him not. We didn't think highly of him. We didn't regard him as someone that was even attractive in any way. That's who Jesus was. And he didn't... So, so in two ways, he emptied himself. He emptied himself in his appearance, and he emptied himself in his posture. Uh, the Roman, the Roman uh, official who was in Judea at that time was named Pilate. And whenever he was, he was interrogating Jesus, um, the day that he was going to be crucified, he, Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, he said, don't you know who I am? And Pilate had all of the pomp of Rome. He was the top official in that part of the Roman world. And Rome was full of pomp. And those that had authority, they would wear their armor, they would wear these feathered helmets. They were full of pomp. And Pilate could stand there and speak to Jesus as speaking down to someone and say, don't you even understand who I am? How important I am? I can set you free. Your life is in my control. And Jesus gave him a very interesting answer. He says, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you from heaven. Jesus knew all of these things. And Jesus, as he went through his earthly ministry, other people needed help. Other people needed healing and he would heal them. But it says the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He didn't have his own house. He could have made himself a house. He didn't. He would be hungry. He would be thirsty. And he didn't use his divine power for himself in those ways. God, the Father was always providing for him, but he himself had the appearance and the posture of a servant, even of a slave. And it says that being born in the likeness of men, there's where we have it. There's where we have this idea of the incarnation. Jesus, who is 
fully God is also now fully man. He was born in the likeness of men. He actually took on a body like us. When he did that, he never stopped being God, but he did take on our nature to be our Redeemer. God the Son became a man, and this is the incarnation. So he did look ordinary. Uh, He wouldn't have turned any heads to say, wow, that guy is really impressive. In fact, when he was in his the, uh, the town where he mostly grew up was Nazareth. They looked at him and they said, this is a guy that we know. Um, he shouldn't claim such things about himself. And most of the people there didn't believe in him. They drove him out. It says this then, being found in human form, what did he do? Well, then it was his mission. He humbled himself. And here we see the, the, the mindset of Jesus, this mind that's in Christ that is also for Christians. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So this mindset is the very heart of God. The very heart of God, at the very heart of God, is a love that serves, that sacrifices, that looks at other people and says, what can I do for them? What can I do for that person? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He put himself below everyone. When he took off the display of his glory and took on a human body, it was like what he did that night when he washed his disciples' feet. It's like he took off the display of his glory and the posture of being the sovereign God of all. And then he came to be a servant. And he kept doing that when he would interact with people throughout his earthly ministry. He cared for them. He sacrificed himself. And he did that over and over again, taking the very lowest place, even to the point then when he went to the cross in Jerusalem. He went all the way, humbling himself in obedience to God the Father to the very point of death on a cross. And when he did that, he was was being obedient to the mission of his Father. This is an amazing thing, because he who was not recognized in this world for all the glory that he actually has and deserves, all of that being let go of for that time, for that very specific purpose. He, who is God, died on that cross in our nature, joined to us, for us. That is how He served you and me. That is how He, that is how he took the very lowest place so that He was forsaken by people, abandoned And even could say to God when he prayed, to the Father, the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through the complete anguish of the punishment that we would all deserve. He served us. He had a mindset that he looked at us and he said, I'm going to put myself below them and I'm going to treat them as more significant than myself and I am going to give myself as a sacrifice to redeem them. Friends, this is the heart of God. This is what God is really like. And it was concealed. But He Himself came to us as a servant. Now, again, why are we told all of these things? It's so that we can look at His mindset. We can look at the very mindset that is in Christ. The mindset in Christ is love. It's a love that is foreign to this world. It's a love that gives itself for the sake of not just friends, 
but enemies of people that would rebel and hurt you and take from you and mistreat you. It's a mindset of humility, of always saying, what can I do for that person's good? And it's looking at other people and saying, I'm going to be below them and treat them as more significant. It's not that Jesus didn't know who he was. He always knew. And yet with that mindset, knowing that he is the beloved son, that he is God from all eternity, he could have the mindset to say, I'm going to treat that person, I'm going to treat these people as more significant, and I will serve them. And it went all the way to death on the cross. And when he died on that cross, you have to understand this, no one took his life from him. No one could have forced him to do that. But he willingly accepted it. His mindset was, I'm going to do what I came here to accomplish. As painful as it was, as hard as it was, he chose to suffer for the sake of us. He chose to lay down his life for our sake. And nobody humbled him, but it says this, this little phrase, he humbled himself, verse 8. He humbled himself. That's the mindset. When he poured out his blood on the cross, now this whole song turns in verse 9, and it says, this wasn't the end. Verse 9 says, therefore, because of all this, because this is God's economy, this is the way God does things, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 9 says, therefore, because of all that Christ did, God has highly exalted him. The Greek phrase could be translated, God super exalted him. He put him way high, higher than you can comprehend. And he put on him the name that is above every name. Do you understand the significance of this? This is the big therefore. This is, God did this for a reason. Because Christ suffered so deeply, God highly exalted him. He glorified him. And we are told, as Christians, to follow this pattern. And we should be encouraged by this big therefore. Because Christ suffered and now is exalted, we will see him. Everyone will. That's what it says in this passage. But don't rush ahead to that. Because there's encouragement for us now in the mindset that we are to have. The same mind that was in Christ. And the encouragement is this. That the very pattern of your life, as much as you take on this mindset, as much as you display this mindset like Christ had, you will have a big therefore as well. In Christ. From God. The pattern of your life. So many... Um, professing Christians right now and in this country are, are sort of misled to live for the things of this world. Just too much. And there's too much of our energy and our time and our years that's being given to the pursuit of wealth and of comfort. When Christ didn't do that, and we, should, we should work hard and we should learn how to have contentment but we should have this mindset of Christ not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. And that should define us. As a, as a pastor, I think there's some unique blessings. I get to be really close to people in their dying days. 
And sometimes that can be hard, but here's a blessing that I get from that. I am regularly reminded of how fleeting are the things of this world. How the things that Jesus said are really, really true. That you should not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, because they will be gone. Your physical health, you have no idea how many days you have or how long it will last. But you can store up treasures for heaven and they will not be destroyed and they will last forever. And the people that live for His kingdom and that do live for the eternal things through this life can hold their very health, their very bodies and lives loosely. And all the physical, financial things that we can have in this world can just go. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. All of those things can go. The person that has lived for Christ has a unique confidence at the day of death and can say, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't strive after the things of this world. Where there is regret for people that do. And I'm not saying you're either one or the other. We're all probably on some point on a spectrum. But the mindset of Christ helps you live for the things that are eternal. And Jesus says, when you do that, He says, you will not lose your reward. You will not. You know, He tells us something that we can't yet fully comprehend. That we'll have new bodies. That we will live in a new heavens and a new earth. And that we will live forever. And that will make this life seem so short. It doesn't mean it's not significant. It just means that the things of this world are not lasting. The things that are happening now are significant because it sets you up for what will be for forever. And in a thousand years, and in ten thousand years, and in ten million years, the things that are happening now will matter then. So live for eternity. Have this same mindset. Therefore, God highly exalted Him. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, friends. And He says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now He's pointing us to what will be. He's saying, God has put on Him the name that's above every name, so that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, or should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, That means everything that you see and every being that you don't see will give glory to God the Son. Because the the way that Jesus, He disrobed Himself from the display of glory, from the posture and the appearance of being God, when He returns, that will be back. In His posture and in His appearance, everyone will see Him. Every eye will see Him. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Because on that day, we will see Him and we'll say, He is definitely God, He is supreme over all, and He is Lord. Now the point here is, it has a few layers. We'll say this to the glory of God the Father. We are told this because all people ought to do this now, and we are commanded to do this now. It's a call to repent It's a call to be rightly aligned with the God of all the universe, of the sovereign of all people, the one who has all authority. We should bow our knees now. We should come under his authority now. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's turning from sin and it's coming under the authority of Christ. He saves us and he's in charge of us. But there's also this, that on that day, all will know by his appearance and his posture 
that he is God. And we who are Christians hope for that day. So we should take the long view of everything that happens. We should do the work of evangelism now, the work of discipleship now, the things that he has told us. Go and make disciples. Uh, All the things that he's taught us to obey, we should be working hard at that. And we should live for eternal things. We should be storing up those treasures in heaven. Again, we're looking here at what was so great about Christmas. He took the form of a man. In fact, he took on, he took on what, what we would, in our language, say, he took on a body just like ours. And he did this with his mindset, which is an eternal mindset of God the Son, which is full of love. We, therefore, are told to train our minds we are told to train our minds to have this very practical focus on Christ and then to have our minds transformed in these ways. Here are some practical ways to live out this different mindset. The big one is keep focusing on Christ. Keep coming to worship. Keep opening your Bible. Keep thinking about Christ. Even just memorize verses 6 through 11. That's not a just. That would be a big thing. That would transform your life. Do this in living it out. Be a good listener to other people. If you really will serve other people and have the mindset of a servant, understand that other person. A person that thinks of themselves as more highly, uh, more, more important than another person, will not listen. Will only listen long enough till they can say what they want to say because they believe their words are more important. But a person that really listens to another person is someone that's actually serving them caring for them. If you just close the mouth and listen, people will say, wow, you're a good listener. Even if you didn't get it all, even if you weren't listening that well, it really means a lot to people. And we can train ourselves in these ways. You can think in terms of what is best for another person. Like it says in verse 2, having that same love. Loving another person is considering what is best for that other person and then actually doing it. Sometimes that's telling someone the truth they don't want to hear. Sometimes, very often, it's actually giving words that are gracious words or, or a gesture or an act of service that really helps them, truly helps them, even without regard for yourself. And here's a way that you can try to set your actions in your life in line with this mindset that's in Christ. You can even choose to suffer so that you can serve someone else. You can go without You can sacrifice something so that another person can be benefited. You know, uh, again, the highlight of this Christmas for me was looking outside of some windows in some nursing homes at some of the saints that are members of this fellowship and looking at how blessed they were. And that, that statement that it's really more blessed to give than to receive is so true. To see joy well up in someone else Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What he means there is, you will receive more happiness in giving than in receiving. That's a very, it's a, the the Greek word is makarios. To be blessed, to be blessed in that way is, there's more happiness in giving than in getting. And this is the mindset that's in Christ. And when you do this, you will shine. Later in this passage, you'll stand out in this world it says this in, um, in the same chapter, verse 15. It says, 
do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You will stand out when you do this. It doesn't, I don't care where you work. I don't care where you live. When this mindset is controlling you and guiding you, other people will know because it is so different than this world. And they'll know that you belong to Christ. So, we can be different. Uh, with all the things that are happening, with all the darkness, you can shine as a bright light. Um, we can do this. We can have this same mind that's in Christ. I just want to encourage us in this. This is something, not just that, um, we, that, that is just for like the elite Christians. This is for all Christians. This is a blessing that we get to step into. This is something where we can take stock of how long this life will be and look and live for the things that are eternal. The scripture says that all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. So the question is, why would we live for that? All the glory of man, all the things that we would do and try to rank ourselves above other people, why would we live for that? when it's God's economy that matters. And what he says is, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Live for that. You can live for Christ. You can have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together.